where is the heat on in your life? Well, where is the pressure, the concern, the, the worry about the future? Wouldn't it be nice if we could say, no matter where I feel the heat, I'm going to put my trust and my hope in God and believe that, that he's going to come through for me. Wouldn't it be great if we just had this unshakable faith to say, I'm going to approach this trial, this difficult situation with confidence in God. That, that would be remarkable, wouldn't it? Well, we're continuing our series called Unshakable, which is a study in, in the book of Daniel. And in this book, Daniel and his friends display the unshakable faith in many difficult and life-threatening situations. And today we're looking at Daniel 3, and it's a story when Daniel's friends display an unshakable, courageous faith in God when the heat's on in their lives. And this story in chapter 3 happens about 15 years later than the one we looked at last week. Now, Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're no longer teenagers. They're in their mid-30s. King Nebuchadnezzar is the emperor of the Babylonian Empire, which is the largest in the world at the time. He's the most powerful man in the world. And what often comes with that is an ego. And his entire life, Nebuchadnezzar dealt with the issue of pride and arrogance constantly. And this arrogance caused the next test for Daniel's friends. But as you read Daniel 3, you'll notice that, that Daniel's not in the story. I mean, where's Daniel? Daniel was one of the top advisors of the king by that time. And he wasn't there in the story, so who knows? He might have been out of the country representing the king somewhere. The text just doesn't say where he is. But the story begins in Daniel 3.1 where it says this. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dur in the providence of Babylon. Now, now many people believe that the statue was of himself. I, I mean, think about it. If you build a 90-foot statue to yourself and set it up on a plane, you probably have some ego issues. Then it says in verse 2, he then summoned the strapids, perfects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other providential leaders to come to the dedication of the image he'd set up. By the way, these are actually the pecking order of the day. So the most powerful of the king's leaders were the strapids, and then the perfects, and then the governors. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all three of them were governors. They've been appointed and been serving for 15 years. They're Jewish, but they're serving as governors in Babylon. So these are all the powerful people of the day. And the king says, I want all of you guys to come to the official dedication of the statue that I've set up. And at this gathering, the people were commanded when the music started to bow down and worship this idol. Now, today, no one's bowing down the golden images and showing their devotion. But we still have idols in our lives. An idol is anything that, that takes you away from full devotion to God. Anything that will replace God has first place in your life. And, and usually it's good things that become idols in our life. I mean, it could be a spouse, a single person thinking, I have to get married and then I'll be happy and fulfilled. 
or a job. Someone think, man, if I could get that promotion, then I'd be happy. Then I'd just be completely satisfied. Another idol that I think we struggle with it for parents are our children's success. Or sometimes people struggle just with comfort and their sole purpose in life is to be comfortable, to not take any risks, and to be safe and secure. For me, God showed me a number of years ago that my idol was a successful church. You know, as we started this church, I was putting all my energy, all my effort in making this church go and began to think that a successful church was going to fulfill me. What was the thing? And I elevated that above my relationship with God. But God showed me I needed to let that go and trust him and put him as first place in my life, not the church. And that was a hard transition. But 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 it was true. I still want the church to be successful. But but it doesn't drive me like it used to. What's an idol that you have in your life? What is it that can replace God as first place in your life? So back to the story. The orchestra started playing and everyone's falls on their face to worship this big idol. Except three guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These guys were standing. Everyone else in the nation's bowing. But, but they're sticking out like a sore thumb. And this made people upset. They reported the three to the king and told the king, hey, these guys didn't follow your orders to bow down and worship. And they paid no attention to it. Now the three were going to feel the heat of the king. Immediately, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were hauled before the king for refusing to bow down to his idol of gold. And the king gave them another chance. He says, hey, look, if this time you'll bow down to the image, and I'll just forget about what happened before. But if you don't, I'll throw you into the furnace. And he says this. He says, then what God will be able to save you? You see, the kind of faith that these three men exhibit is remarkable. It's a courageous faith that stands up in their life when the heat's on. It's a matter of life and death. And it's a courageous faith that I just long for. As I read the story, I think, man, I want to have that kind of faith. I want to have a rock-solid assurance that, that God's with me, that he's for me, and that nothing can get in his way. These three men displayed a courageous faith that we can aspire to. We can develop a courageous faith that trusts God when the heat's on in our life. But how do we do that? Well, look how they responded in verse 16. It says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. They said, hey, wait. Hey, King, we don't need to get into a long explanation about that. We're not going to bow down to your image. You're not God. We serve the God of the universe, and he's in control of whatever happens. We don't need to defend ourselves because he'll win in the end. In the end, God will make his purposes happen. So we don't need to defend ourselves. They resolved in their hearts and minds that God would bring his purposes in the end, and they didn't have to worry about anything else. See, we can develop a courageous faith by being convinced that no matter what's happening on the front stage, 
that God's in control of the backstage and he'll ultimately prevail. God wins in the end. I'm a big Kansas City Royals fan, and for most of my life, that's been a long-suffering fan. They haven't been good for a long time. But in 2014, 2015, they put together a really good team, and they made the series, the World Series in both those years and won it all in 2015. And during the playoffs, my son talked to me, and he said, God, Dad, we got to drive down to Kansas City and go to a game. And he didn't really need to convince me much, but but we looked online, we bought tickets, and we decided to go to Game 6 of the American League Championship Series. If the Royals won that game, they were going to the World Series. It was a cool fall night with a chance of rain, and the game was going good through seven innings. The Royals were up by two. And at that moment, my sister texted me and said, The Royals are winning. That's great. And, and the rain's held off. That's good news. Right after I read that text, I looked up and Jose Baptista for the Toronto Blue Jays just hit a rocket over the fence with a runner on to tie it. And as he was rounding third, it started to rain hard. I texted my sister back and said, please don't text me anymore. After a rain delay, the Royals got a run in the bottom of the eighth and then their best relief pitcher was in, but he allows the first two runners for Toronto to get on get on in the top of the ninth. But the tension was unbelievable. Everyone in the stands was nervous and worried that the Royals wouldn't hold on. I mean, it was intense. I was worried that I drove all the way to Kansas City, spent way too much money on the tickets just to see him lose. And you could just feel everybody was worried. But, but the Royals hung on. With Davis striking out the next two guys and getting Josh Danielson to ground out. And once he ground out, there was just euphoria. They had won. They were going to the World Series. It was great. I was so excited. Well, fast forward that to last spring when there was no sports on, no live sports on because of the pandemic. And I heard that the MLB Network was going to replay this game. And I decided to watch it. And it was fun watching it the second time. But but during the ninth inning, I didn't have any of the same emotions that I had when I was at the game. I wasn't nervous. I wasn't worried. I wasn't concerned. Do you know why? Because I knew the outcome. I, I knew who would win. So I was just excited to watch it. See, Daniel's friends tell the king that they don't need to defend themselves before him. Because they knew who was going to win at the end. They probably thought of the dream that Daniel had interpreted for the king many years ago. The state that God's kingdom was going to destroy and outlast every man-made kingdom. That in the end, God would prevail. So they didn't need to defend themselves. They would just rely on their knowledge that God's kingdom would reign forever. After every man-made kingdom was gone. They were determined to honor God until he prevailed. They weren't worried. See, if we're going to develop a courageous faith, we have to be convinced of God's sovereignty. That God's in control. That no matter what is happening right now on the front stage, God's going to bring it about to his kingdom in the end. Think about it. 
most of what we worry about and stress over in light of eternity is pretty insignificant. And as we develop this conviction, we'll be developing a courageous faith that takes on all that happens to us in the world. We won't have to worry or stress or be concerned either. Second, to develop a courageous faith, we have to develop a conviction that God has the ability to rescue me. It doesn't matter what kind of mess you're in, what kind of crisis, what kind of difficulty, what kind of fire you're trying to put out in your life right now. Just remember, God has the power to save. God is God, which means he can do anything. Look at what the three men say in Daniel 3.17. It says, if we're thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. See, that's quite a statement. They, they know that God is able. He's got the power to save them. Do we know that? Do we know that, that God's able, that he has the power to save us? But that's not really enough. The third conviction we need is we need to develop the conviction that God will save me. Well, look at the rest of Daniel 3, 17. The three say, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. See, they made it personal. He said, he will deliver us. And we need to make it personal too. We sometimes state that clearly that God has the ability to save us and to rescue us, but we really don't believe he'd do that for us. We doubt that God really cares enough about us to actually be there for us. You see, it's one thing to say, I believe that God has the ability to intervene and rescue the situation. But it's quite another thing to say, I believe he'll really save me. If you know what God says in his word about your life, you wouldn't worry. You see, when we worry, it means that we don't really know or believe what God's promised us. That's what it means. It means if you don't know what God's promised you, you won't believe he'll come through for you. But there's 7,000 plus promises in the Bible. And in 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul writes that he says, as many as may be the promises of God, in Christ they're yes. So if we're in Christ, all the promises of the Bible are yes for us. They include us. They're meant for us. Here's one of a hundred of promises about deliverance and rescue. It's Isaiah 43, 2 and 3. And this is what God says. It says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That's a promise for you, for me. It's a promise for us personally. It's not a general blanket statement that might include you or might not. We can take the promise and rely on it. And as you do, we'll grow in having courageous faith. Next, 
We need to grow in developing a courageous faith by declaring our loyalty to God no matter what. These three friends end up saying to the king in verse 18, it says this, but even if he does not, they said, even if he does not save us, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. See, the truth is God doesn't always do exactly what we want him to do. Sometimes he does, but other times he's got different plans. So these three said to the king, hey, even if God doesn't save us, even if he has another plan, we won't serve other gods or worship your idols. I love that they added this caveat. Because God might not do it in the way that they want. But he's always working for our good. See, sometimes God saves us from the crisis. He helps us avoid the fire. And God could have done that with these guys. They could have been marked for execution. The king is convinced. But God says, let's not do that. Sometimes when you're in a problem, God takes you out of it. And that's nice. That's always fun. He saves us from the crisis. And he helps us avoid fiery furnaces. But but sometimes God saves us through the crisis. Sometimes we have to walk through that fiery furnace. He doesn't take you away from the problem, but he takes you through the problem. And he gives you the strength to handle the problem. He doesn't remove the problem, but he uses the problem to develop us, to grow us, to give us more confidence and faith in him. He takes us through the crisis. Sometimes God saves us by the crisis. And what I mean by that is sometimes the problem, sometimes the problem in your life that you see is not really the problem. The problem is what saves you from the real problem. You've heard these stories where someone goes in the hospital for a problem in their neck, and when they get there, the pain in their neck wasn't the real problem. The problem they discover is they have cancer in their stomach or something even worse. Sometimes a smaller problem is a warning sign that that gets our attention to the bigger problem. And sometimes God even allows the problem because he wants to save you. I have a cousin that, that lives out east, and he got married, and after a number of years, the, the marriage went south. The relationship deteriorated and, until finally his wife left him and demanded a divorce. He, he was devastated. It was the worst experience of his life, and even though he never went to church, he prayed that God would save his marriage. And you know what? It didn't happen. God didn't listen to him, and he sunk into a depression. That was significant. And maybe some of you are, are there right now too. Maybe you're thinking, God didn't come through for me. He hasn't done anything for me. I, I can't trust him. And if that's where you are, I understand that. It's hard and, and I don't want to make light of it. My only thought is that God's not finished yet. And if you can't trust him, rely on your friends and the community. We, we want to be there for you. And that's what happened to my cousin. His friends worried that he wouldn't make it out of it. One friend decided to invite him to his church. And my cousin Bob said, okay, but really wasn't sure why. 
But he went. And to his surprise, he enjoyed it. The people are nice and positive. And the more he came back, the more he connected with them. And through the course of that time, he heard the gospel message. And slowly but steadily, he decided to give his life to Christ. And Jesus healed him of that pain of divorce and gave him a new life, a new perspective. But as he told me the story, he said this. He said, going through that divorce was so hard, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I wish I hadn't gone through it. But God used that to get me ready for following him. I never would have been ready to follow God if I hadn't been through that divorce. You see, God saved him by the crisis. And God wants to develop and strengthen our faith. In 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while you may have have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, God doesn't pull you out of every problem you go through. He doesn't. Sometimes it's necessary for you to go through the problem. Sometimes it's necessary for God to save you in the problem. Because of, of the many trials you suffer. The purpose of these trials is to test your faith. It is to prove that it can be genuine. It's like gold that needs to be refined with fire. Because faith that can't be tested, can't be trusted. And at the end of time when Jesus comes back, he'll say, you're, you're going to be rewarded for the fact that your faith proved to be trustworthy. So for our faith to grow and be strong, we have to declare our loyalty to him no matter what happens in our life. And as we go, I'd encourage you to ask God two questions in prayer this week. First, ask him what idols do I struggle with? And listen to his answer. And to ask him to increase your faith. Ask him to give you an unshakable faith. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sometimes we think we got to develop the faith all on our own. But the Holy Spirit wants to grow us, wants to develop. So ask and pray for that. And God will develop in you that unshakable faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you that, that you want to grow our faith. And that we can have an unshakable, a courageous faith, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I pray that you would help us be convinced of your sovereignty, that, that you're able, that, that you're willing, that you've promised to be with us. <clears throat> and that no matter what you do, we can declare our loyalty in you. Lord, help us to do that this week as we go. We pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen.